A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. John Calvin. And don't you ever say I did. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. Well, there's probably a, a balance between, I believe you have to know Christ, but... God is in hell. He is. And someone knows this for sure. All of mankind is going to end up somewhere in heaven. My mission really is to just help people of faith, especially, to re-examine this issue, to realize the church has got things wrong in the past. For those who are God's by faith in his son. <laughs> Corinthians, right? 2 Corinthians 317. That's the victory in the name which is above every name. There's no exception for rape or incest. Uh, it's an extreme law. <laughs> <laughs> right now, bones, ligaments, tendons, in Jesus' name. Get out here right now. So put your trust in the sovereign risen king Who doesn't owe you one cotton picking thing And yet he still promises to furnish his disciples But we take what he's created and we turn him into idols I'll never back down, so how can I keep it in? But you'll never see me preaching the sin of TBM Yeah, spirit and truth is worship viewed in this chemistry But, but some are spewing distorted views of the Trinity Hey everybody, welcome to episode 5 of The Master's Dog. I am your host, The Evangelical Norm. So we are back into responding to uh, Saints Unscripted and their Faith and Beliefs uh, segment of their podcast. So this week, uh, David is going to talk a little bit about the Kinderhook plates. Um, they'll explain to you what they are if you don't know what they are already. And then so we'll let him talk about that and we'll do what we do. We'll just stop him intermittently and we'll interject and then we'll talk about it for at the end and um, take a look at what this, uh, any if anything, if it has what significance it has uh, in relation to Mormonism, in relation to Christianity and um, if it has anything at all. Sometimes some of these things that they talk about really don't mean anything and they're just kind of like, eh. So we'll let him go ahead and tell you all about it. So here we go, David. Another episode of Faith and Beliefs. Today we present to you Chapter 40, The Mysterious Case of Joseph Smith and the Kinderhook Plates. 
So again, I just this is a this is a really a deception technique that they do that they take everything that could really um, take away from Joseph Smith's credibility as a prophet and they just make it as ridiculous as they can. And so thus the mystery kind of thing um, introduction that they do. So again, as you watch this, understand that that literally is a deception technique. The year is 1843, about 75 miles south of Nauvoo, Illinois. A few people, including a couple Latter-day Saints, are digging around and they discover these. There were six copper plates with characters etched on the front and back. The black images you're seeing are just copies of the copper originals. Anyway, someone ends up taking these plates to Joseph Smith. In the journal of William Clayton, who is Joseph's private clerk, we get the following. President Joseph has translated a portion and says they contain the history of the person with whom they were found, and he was a descendant of Ham through the loins of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and that he received his kingdom from the ruler of heaven and earth. Weird, huh? Clayton includes this information in History of the Church, but he writes in first person as if Joseph himself said it, which happened with some biographical works back then, but the source is obviously Clayton's journal. This is the only actual source we have indicating what Joseph's purported partial translation consisted of. Okay, wait. Uh, the source being Clayton's journal, but was written in first person in the history of the church. This is not what happened often. This is, again, this is something that... Uh, it's a deceiving tactic. It is, you don't take something, it's called plagiarism, is literally what it is, whether it's a, a, a personal experience or not. To take something that was, was, if the source is Clayton's journal, but it is put in the history of the church as a, in, written in the first person, this means it was taken and, and twisted. And, and to just dismiss it like that, is as a disservice to honesty it's a disservice to integrity to just simply dismiss it well it was written in there as a, in the first person so joseph smith put it in the history of the church as i did this instead of taking and going we found in and whatever in clayton's journal it just doesn't make sense and to just simply dismiss it out of hand is, is simply a disservice to integrity. There was never a translation, transcript, or publication anywhere, unlike his other translations. But here comes the problem. 1879 rolls around. Brigham Young's stepson, James T. Cobb, who was alienated from the church, gets a letter from a guy named Wilbur Fugit. The letter said this. I received your letter in regard to those plates and will say answer they are a humbug gotten up by Robert Wiley, Bridge Witten, and myself. We read in Pratt's prophecy that truth would spring up out of the earth. We concluded to prove the prophecy by way of a joke. Bridge Witten cut them out some pieces of copper. Wiley and I made the hieroglyphics by making impressions on beeswax and filling them with acid and putting it on the plates. 
Now, despite this, according to author of Rough Stone Rolling Richard Bushman, church historians continued to insist on the authenticity of the Kinderhook plates until 1980. That is because in 1980, the Chicago Historical Society tested one of the surviving Kinderhook plates, and Fugit's claim checked out. The Kinderhook plates were a forgery. And it's about here that Latter-day Saints start freaking out. As well they should. That there was evidence that they were fake and for well over a hundred years the church continued to maintain the validity and then now we're just going to dismiss it <laughs> you have a church that is supposedly led by men who interact on a daily basis with with god the father who are are constantly in connection and you don't think somewhere in the 180 years God would have told one of these prophets you know what stop thinking these things are real because you're going to cause embarrassment for this true church my true church God doesn't doesn't value integrity and intellectual honesty enough to have informed somebody that you should really stop maintaining the validity of these plates and using them to defend the other false translation and uh, non-existent plates that exist. Right? Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's the Everybody procedure, everyone? Calm. What's the procedure? Stay if Joseph was a real prophet, how could he possibly receive a translation from faked plates? Take a deep breath. <sighs> Let's dig a little deeper. We get another mention of the Kinderhook plates in a letter by Parley P. Pratt. A large number of citizens have seen them, the Kinderhook plates, and compared the characters with those on the Egyptian papyrus, which is now in this city. He also says the plates are filled with engravings in Egyptian language. Furthermore, on May 30th, 1843, in the New York Herald, one non-member reporter said the plates were brought up and shown to Joseph Smith. He compared them in my presence with his Egyptian alphabet. He's referring to the Egyptian alphabet spearheaded by William W. Phelps in relation to the Egyptian papyrus associated with the Book of Abraham. Which also was proven to be false. The Book of Abraham did not come from the Egyptian papyrus. It came from Joseph Smith's imagination. Nothing that was on that Egyptian papyrus translated into anything that was in the Book of Abraham. And you're using this to defend Joseph Smith's errant translation of false plates that were given to him. And in nowhere in this did God ever go, Hey, Joseph, stop because you are embarrassing yourself nowhere in this really this document is called the g-a-e-l grammar and alphabet of the egyptian language it was a failed attempt to provide a secular translation of egyptian characters that's another story entirely but you can check out the g-a-e-l he just said it was a failed attempt and yet he's going to now use this failed attempt to defend Joseph's failed translation of a false, faked plate. 
And again, nowhere in this did God go to his man who restored his gospel and go, you're messing up here, dude. Doesn't bother anybody at all? Doesn't bother him at all? Not not a need for concern? I would say it's absolutely a need for concern. J-E-L on josephsmithpapers.org. Here's an image of one page, but what we're interested in is this symbol right here, this bowl-like thingy. Something similar appears on one of the Kinderhook plates right here. Now, recall what Clayton said Joseph said about the plates. They contain the history of the person with whom they were found, and he was a descendant of Ham through the loins of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and that he received his kingdom from the ruler of heaven and earth. Now, let's compare that with what the G-A-E-L says about this character. Honor by birth, kingly power by the line of Pharaoh, possession by birth, one who reigns upon his throne universally, possessor of heaven and earth. Also, if you were a Pharaoh, you were automatically a descendant of Ham, so that's implied here as well. So, we've got an eyewitness saying Joseph translated the Kinderhook plates from his Egyptian alphabet, and on that document, we find the information William Clayton said was in the translation. It's clear that this was not a supernatural event. This was just Joseph having a secular crack at it, which, of course, he's allowed to do. Did he think the record was authentic at first? Probably. But the fact that there was never a published translation, the fact that he stopped trying to translate after the bit we've reviewed, leads me to believe these plates ended up not being a priority to Joseph. But yet you just said that the church maintained they were valid until 1980. The church maintained they were valid until 1980, but yet they were just dismissed? No, they weren't, obviously. They were not dismissed because the church maintained that they were valid until 1980. Maybe he tried to receive revelation about them and failed and then turned to a more secular attempt. Or maybe he didn't try to receive revelation at all and just hit the books. We may never know. But the fact that the plates turned out to be a hoax does not bother me. That's because there are none so blind who, as those who will not see. It doesn't bother him because he, it, it can't bother him. Because he refuses to see the truth in the fact that Joseph Smith was a fraud, that the entirety of, of this proves that he was not a prophet. God should have, God doesn't do anything without consulting his prophets, right? God should have talked to his prophet and said, look, they're false. Really would have, would have solidified his, uh, his standing as a prophet if he would have stood up and went, these are fake, because God told me. But God didn't bother to tell him that. God just kind of, eh, well, you know, I'm just going to let him go off and flounder on his own with this thing. And, and, and that doesn't bother you? It should. It should absolutely bother you. If you have questions about the Kinderhook plates, check out the links in the description. Feel free to leave a comment and have a great day. Again, the church maintained that they were valid until 1980, until somebody else came back and said, mm, yep, they were fake. How many prophets between Joseph Smith and 1980 would have been Ezra Taft Benson, Hunter maybe, 
This Hunter right in between Kimball and, and Benson didn't last very long. Um, so, but would have, would have been Kimball, Benson, one of those guys. How many prophets in between Joseph and, and Benson? And yet God didn't bother to tell any of them, oh, by the way, these kinderhook plates that you are maintaining as an evidence and use, using as proof that the Egyptian engraving on gold and da da blah, 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 blah. God didn't bother to tell any of those men they're false. Here, let me bolster your, uh, your um, validity as a prophet and just go out and tell people, hey, you know what? God told me that these things were false. Nowhere. Nowhere. This should bother every single one of you. This is one of those huge issues that they just try to, you know, make it seem ridiculous and, and brush it away under the rug. This is, these are the things that uh, now you have access to because of the internet that they can no longer deny. And so they have to find some way and, and, and a ridiculous thing like this is what they're going to try to do to, to get you to not be concerned with that. My LDS friend, if you are watching this, this alone should make you run from this false religion. This alone should prove to you that your testimony that Joseph Smith was a prophet is just based upon feelings and pride of not wanting to be wrong. This is what I had to go through when I left the Mormon church. It's not because of sin. It's not because someone offended me. It's because I finally realized that all these things were fate. That Joseph Smith was not a prophet. And in, that I had maintained my testimony that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God for far too long. And it was ultimately the pride inside of me that made me go, I don't want to admit that I have been wrong for all this time. The only reason that with all this coming to the surface that the LDS church hasn't just stood up and said, you know what, let, let it all go. We need to, to turn away from this falsehood is pride and money that says we, we, we refuse to admit that we've been wrong for a hundred plus years, almost 200 years. This should make you run. And Christian, this should increase your desire to share the truth with your LDS neighbor. As always, preach the gospel at all times. Use words. They're necessary. Until next time, Soli Deo Gloria. Mm -hmm.